The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, may we see your greatness today, and as a response, may we offer our hearts completely to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, a few weeks ago when we began our look at the book of Daniel, I told you the first six chapters of Daniel are story. Daniel wrote story of things happening, the narrative, and then when we get into the last six chapters, we get more into prophecy. But uh, as we've been going through the narrative, now if you've had the privilege of growing up in a church, growing up in a, in a Christian home and, and heard, then you're familiar with a lot of these stories. I mean, chapter 1 was the story of the, uh, the captivity, but then the, uh, Daniel refused to eat the portions of the king's meat and all that test and everything like that. Chapter 2 uh, was Nebuchadnezzar having a dream and wanting it interpreted and uh, also wanting it explained to him. We get into chapter 3, and I think this one is even more familiar. It is the story of the fiery furnace, okay? Guess what song we're going to sing at the end? There's another in the fire. Don't you think that'd be perfect? But uh, We'll go into that. But um, anyway, as, uh, as we get into this story in Daniel chapter 3, let me go ahead and read verse number 1 to you. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. Now, just visualize with me for a second. That means the height of the statue, image of gold, was about 90 feet high. Okay, you got it? If you, uh, the, if you took our gym and multiplied by about four or five times, that's how high it is, the ceiling in there. But it is nine feet across. So this is one tall, skinny dude. Okay, if he's only nine feet across, but he is 90 feet high. It is possible, maybe I should even say probable, historians say that this image was outside the walls of Babylon. Many people think that it was actually built up against the walls of Babylon so that it would stand because it was so tall and thin. The walls of Babylon were 87 feet thick, 320 feet tall, uh, so they were monstrous, so these walls stood there. But the king then issued a decree, and he said, hey, everybody is going to worship this. Everybody is going to bow down to this image. He had just recently quelled or, or put down a, uh, I was going to say revival, what are those called? Rebellion. Uh, he just recently put down a rebellion. And you know the kings, you probably remember this from world history, the kings of that time were especially paranoid. I mean, you could say people are paranoid today, but back then they really did not want to allow any chance of an uprising. Uh, so the fact that they had just quieted this down, he said, I'm going to make sure, I'm not going to leave any room for any type of rebellion, so we're going to make sure that everybody is bowing before this statue. They're, they're going to have to do that. In other words, uh, if you are not for me, you're against me. By the way, if I could say this just for a second, that phrase, if you are not for me, you're against me, belongs to only one person, okay, Jesus Christ. Jesus said that, and he can say that. If anybody else ever tells you that, please be very, very careful. I had a pastor that told me that one time. Hey, if you're not for me, you're against me. And I was like, sorry, buddy, you don't get to say that. Uh, you know, sometimes pastors are wrong, believe it or not. Uh, and, uh, but uh, one person can say, if you're not for me, you're against me. Well, the king definitely wanted to make sure that everybody was supporting him. Uh, by the way, a little fun fact for you. You might remember we talked about a statue a couple weeks ago, and it had head of gold and then silver and then bronze and then iron. You remember that? Those elements are kind of neat to look at because they start off very pure 
and they actually get where they're, where they're very strong. And the Roman Empire, which is down at the bottom there, was the strongest, of course, the biggest of the empires, but it was less pure in this sense, and that is they allowed some freedom of government within their system. Like at the time of Jesus, you still had you know, uh, Jewish authorities and things like that. You see, in Babylon, where they started, they were going to keep it completely pure. You answered to the king and the king alone. He had total control. He was going to keep it like that and make sure that nobody would ever question that he's in charge. Now, we're going to pick it up reading really in the middle of the story. We're going to pick it up in verse number 8. The king has issued this decree that everybody should bow down before the statue. says, therefore, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. A paraphrase would say they tattled. Uh, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever, O king. Uh, have made a, you have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And they were, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province. That was at the end of chapter 2. They got this appointment over Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, a lot of people have asked, where was Daniel in this story? Remember we said that this idol was outside of Babylon. Daniel worked in Babylon. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of the surrounding provinces. So they were there on this deal. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound, and by the way, this is, there are three times they, report, they repeat all these instruments. Uh, I always learned in Bible study, if something is repeated, you need to check and see why. So I checked and see why they kept repeating these instruments three times. I have absolutely no idea. But anyway, um, I never found out anything. The horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe. You guys, you guys know what those are? The horn, I know what that is. Okay. Uh, but, but anyway, they fell down. And they're supposed to do that. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God? Listen to this statement Nebuchadnezzar makes. Who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? You see, Nebuchadnezzar figured, I already beat the God of Judah. I already conquered them. Okay, they're already in submission to me. He didn't stop me then. He's not going to stop me now. So who is the God who would do that? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't answer to you. <laughs> That's going to tick them off. If this be so, our God whom we serve. Now listen to that statement. If this be so, if this is so that God is able. If this is so that God is able. Our God whom we serve will deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, I want to uh, just talk to you for a minute about what they said here, because at first I thought, okay, I better understand the translation here. Were they saying that maybe God isn't able? And I thought, surely they weren't saying that. But you know what? They actually were. They were actually saying, we don't even know if God is able. If you think about the journey they've been on, okay, they're, they're in their peaceful little lives, and here come the Babylonians to conquer. Don't you think they got together and prayed and said, God, keep them from conquering us? But God didn't. God, could you keep us at least from getting ripped apart from our families? And God didn't. Can't you imagine us being dragged across the desert that uh, they just said, God, I know you could stop this at any time, but God didn't. <laughs> 
So I think what they actually said in this prayer or in this statement is, we don't even know if God can. By the way, sometimes, you know, for us, it is easier to believe that God can't than that God won't. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I think we're, we're going to get into this more in a, in a couple minutes, but I think this is, you know, something that we all struggle with. We've looked and we said, wait a minute, God didn't answer in the past. You know, kind of like, you know, fool me once. Shame on me, you know, fool me twice, you know, maybe I, I can't believe in God in this. There's a song, actually several of the words we already sang this morning fit into this message so well, but there's a song you may have heard of called Even If. It's a song by Mercy Me, but they say, uh, uh, I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire by your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my heart is yours alone. And that's how these guys prayed, except for the fact that they didn't know for sure that God could do that. Okay, but they basically said, God, it doesn't, whatever you do, whatever you decide is best, whatever happens here, we are still going to follow you. Now, I'm going to skim a little bit here, but uh, verse number 18, uh, they said, no, we're not going to do it. Verse number 19, Nebuchadnezzar got big time ticked, and he said, I'm going to heat that furnace up seven times what it normally is. In fact, they got it so hot that when they went to drop these, uh, the children into the furnace, which would have been built kind of into the side of the mountain where they could actually drop them in, and then there's a door down at the bottom that they could look in and clean it out later, but they were seven times so hot that the men who dropped them in were killed. Okay? And some of you know where the story goes from there. Verse number 24 of that chapter. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, I'm Turn my page here. The king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, he's looking in this door, and he says, what, what, what's, the de- what's the deal here? I, I, th- I thought we put three in there, but as I look in there, there's four. I don't understand. Why, why are there four? I, I don't get it. Walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. That phrase, most Bible scholars, I think, believe that this is what is called a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, where it's actually Jesus with them in the fire before he came to earth in his incarnation. Others believe it's an angel sent by God, but either way, God did not leave them alone in the fire. Uh, God said, I'm going to send another one there to be with you in the fire to go through that. He provided that. And if you look at this miracle, it, it goes on there and it talks about the fact that their clothes wasn't, had no smell of the fire to them when they came out. They weren't even singed. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, we burned uh, for warmth for a lot of years. And every time all winter long, we'd go out and people go, <laughs> you smell like a fire. Uh, you really can't keep that, that off of you. I, I uh, don't have a ton of time, but I have to tell one story. When we were first married, uh, my, uh, or actually we just moved into our house. My wife said, I, I found a grill at a garage sale. And we brought home the grill, and I'm not one to be real cautious about things, so I thought, okay, fire that baby up. Uh, so I went out there at dinner time, and, and I kept pressing the little starter button, and nothing happened. So I went inside and got some matches. Apparently, you should have turned off the gas while I did that and let it out. But I came back out and threw that match on there, and this ball of flame uh, came up in my face. And uh, honestly, at that time, I was wearing my hair combed back. The whole front of my hair was like burned little crispy critters that when you touch them, they would just fall right off. Like little ramen noodles falling off. And my eyebrows gone uh, like that. And I walked in. Of course, my wife was very compassionate. She just about rolled on the floor laughing about the whole experience and things like that. But uh, you know, to think about the idea that these men could be in that flame, no singe, no smell, what an incredible miracle uh, that takes place there. 
And the story ends, verse number 29 and 30. Therefore, the king said, I'm going to make a decree. Any people, nation, and language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. This guy's kind of a one-trick pony. <laughs> kill them. Okay, well then, kill them. Uh, we're just going to kill everybody. He said, they'll be torn limb from limb, and the house laid to ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So once again... Uh, we find them at the end of the story thriving, which has happened at the end of every chapter. What they went through and they end up thriving, moving forward, even in the midst of what they are facing in exile here. Now, as I, <laughs> it's kind of weird, um, came in on Friday and uh, tried to uh, make sure, or just double check the sermon, and half of it was gone. So a lot of the verses that we didn't read out loud because they were gone, and my outline was gone, everything like that. And I had a terrible time trying Friday and yesterday to get things uploaded. And finally, I decided, okay, God, you just want me to stress one main thing, don't you? Uh, so I, I kind of took a, you're not really supposed to determine God's will by circumstances, but I did. Uh, and I said, okay, God, this is what you must want me to really focus on this day. And to get us all just to take a little time today and just think, God, will I trust you today? But as I look at this story, will I trust you, first of all, even though you said no yesterday? Okay? The Hebrew children decided to trust even though, like I said, they had faced incredible disappointments. And to be sure, past disappointments can make it hard to pray. Come on. Come on. You've been there, haven't you? Haven't you? I know I have. I have a hard time praying because God didn't answer my last prayer, so what's the use? I have a hard time continuing to trust because I prayed about that before. I got what I will call a random text. I don't, I don't really think that. I think it was from God this week from a young lady that Francis and I knew pretty well. She was in the last class that I taught. We had gone to on senior trip with her. We just loved her. Uh, in fact, we wanted her to be a, a daughter-in-law. That didn't work out. You know, you have a hard time picking spouses for your kids. Uh, but really lo loved that little girl. And... Uh, she, she shot me a text this week with just a goofy picture she had found of me and just said, hey, this made me laugh today. But I got texting her back and forth a little bit. I knew that a couple years ago she and her husband had had a baby that um, she knew that her mom had some type of genetic disorder that could very likely be passed on. They couldn't say for sure, but they said there was a good chance that she would have a very hard time having children and there could be big problems. But she said, oh, you know what? We're, we've been praying, Ben and I, and my husband have been praying and we're asking God for the child and a healthy ch child. And they decided to go ahead and, and she got pregnant. And, and go, during the course of the pregnancy, they told her at different times, things don't look that great. And she said, oh, I'm trusting God. I really believe this is okay. And uh, the news just kept coming uh, that things were not good. And about two years ago, she gave birth to this little girl that wasn't alive and was terribly, you know, like I said, was terribly de deformed. In fact, in the course I have on my phone here, I have some of the pictures she sent me. And uh, I also have in her text, she just said how impossibly painful that, that this all was to her. And she just says, you know, sometimes life down here sucks. And sometimes it does. <laughs> sometimes you look and you just say, in this messed up world, uh, you know, it's, God said no yesterday. Why should I believe he's going to say no today? Or, you know, if he's going to say no again, why should I ask? And it is very hard for us to trust him. So we'll come back to this in a second. But one of the things I'd like you to ask yourself today, are, are we willing to trust him today even though he said no yesterday?
And the second question, as you see, is are we willing to trust him today, even though I said no yesterday? Another message definitely, and this is the one a lot of times the kids hear in the story of the three ch ch Hebrew children thrown in is this idea of bowing down to idols before. And of course, we're not faced with a 90 foot tall golden statue that we're being asked to bow down to. But uh, we know that an idol is something in our life and in our heart that is placed before God. And it would be wrong, I believe, for me to ever try to judge what the idols are in your heart because these are conditions of the heart. So it'd be wrong for me to say, oh, that's an idol in your life. I don't really know. I can look out across the street and see one man that every day, I'm sorry, every Saturday is out polishing his pickup truck and obviously taking good care of it and the neighbor doing the exact same thing. And for one, it might be an idol and for one, it may not be. It's a condition of the heart. And, you know, and I, so I, I don't want to go through and list the things that we might make idols or the people we might make idols or the ideas that we might make idols and lift up above God. But I, I do want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to say, dear God, is there an idol in my life? Is there something I'm placing ahead of you? I believe that God has brought us in this place today, as God brought me to this message, to look and to say, am I willing to trust him even though he said no? He said no. Even though there's things, in, in, am I willing to trust him and say, God, show me these idols, show me these things that I have placed ahead of you? Um, I mentioned we were in Florida this last week, and our vacation was different for us. I've always been a planner. We we're going to have something we're going to do. We had actually planned to take a, meet some friends of ours and take a cruise. That was a long time ago. Uh, and, of course, the cruises were canceled. But we still had these real cheap flights that uh, were going into Miami. So we, uh, I decided we would spend a couple days with my sister. And then uh, three days we went up and we rented a little place up there. And it was different for us because, like I said, I always have something planned. But here's what I got to do for four straight day days. I got to get up, go out, sit on the beach, and watch the sunrise with a drink. And I, I uh, got to write in my journal each day for a while. And then also, I like to, and this is a vacation thing I like to do, I like to get a paraphrase and read through the Psalms in a paraphrase. And I say that cautiously because I don't want, um, I don't want to exalt paraphrases too high because I think we need to watch uh, that we would stay accurate. But on vacation, I like to sit there and just read the Psalms. And um, one of the phrases that stood out to me, I, I think it was uh, Tuesday morning, one of the phrases that stood out is the psalmist praying, I want a life from which I don't need to escape. I want a life from which I don't need to escape. And first of all, honestly, I thank God. I said, God, thank you for that. I was glad to have a vacation and have a break, but I want to be real honest with you. It wasn't like, I got to get out of there. It wasn't like that at all. I said, thank you, God. Thank you for a life from which I don't need to escape. And I thought about the people that suffer with addictions. I know last week we mentioned the spa ministry and the teen challenge that help people with addictions. And folks who suffer from, from addictions, what they ultimately need is not some rules to keep them away from the addictive things. I mean, the rules are helpful in the meantime. But ultimately what they need is that relationship with, with Jesus and that life in Him that makes it so they don't need to escape. Now, I thought about that idea. So... Then yesterday, actually, I was sitting out in the parking lot, and I, I had my uh, paraphrase there again, and I read a few more psalms, and I came across this phrase. Uh, the psalmist just wrote, and he said, Dear God, I can't get enough of you. And I thought about the answer to our idolatry. As, okay, as we say, God, is there something in my life that's placed ahead of you? The remedy is not to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. As much as the remedy is to fill up our lives as much as we can with Jesus Christ. 
Place, place it with that. It's kind of like you say, you know, how are you going to affair-proof your marriage? You know, how are you going to make sure that you don't have an affair? Well, there are some rules to have in place if you want to say, you know, not spending time alone with other people and things like that. Those are all good, but ultimately the best way to affair-proof my marriage is to love my wife well and work on that relationship. What well, is the very same? So as we look at this idea of idolatry, ultimately the solution is that I invest in my relationship with God. Some of you might remember a story. About six years ago, there was a group of 21 Christians that were uh, um, murdered. They were slaughtered in Libya. I don't know if you remember this or not. ISIS uh, beheaded them, and they made a national thing out of it. You know, they, they wanted to show it to everybody, these guys getting beheaded. 21 Christians, they were from Egypt, but I believe they were working in Libya, if I remember the details right. Though I said 21, actually, there were 21 men who were, who were killed. They were construction workers there, but they were believers. There was one, however, that was not part of their group that was working with them. He was not a believer. When the execution was going on. By the way, when they executed them, they had a banner up that read, um, this is a message signed with the blood for the nations of the cross. That was their message. <laughs> we're, sent, we're delivering this message. It's signed with blood for the nations of the cross. So they were definitely making a statement against Christianity. When they came to this one man, who as far as we know before this time was not a believer, they asked him the question, they said, to whom do you owe your allegiance? He'd worked with these 20 other believers for some time. And he looked at them and he said, their God is my God. And with that, they took off his head. And you say, well, things didn't work out that well for him. Unless you realize that in that very moment, he stepped in the presence of Jesus. Things worked out pretty good for him. I say that because I want to be very cautious that you understand I'm not bringing to you a guarantee today, okay? I, I believe the words that song I quoted before, I know he's able and I know he's can. That so often is the prayer of my life. I think that's where I am and I think that's where many of you are. But even if you don't, my heart is still yours, God. I'm going to ask the, the team to come back up and we are going to sing There's Another in the Fire kind of had to, didn't you? I mean, you, you got to sing that today. But if you can take that too out of this, God didn't get them out of the fire. What did he do? He entered in, into it with them. And I think as we sing this, um, as we were singing the song right before, I thought about, you know, my heart, Lord, to you surrendered that idea. I would encourage you to just say, Lord, help me surrender my heart. Help me surrender my heart. And God, help me trust you even though yesterday when I asked you, you said no. Even though there's been a few times when I've asked you and you've said no, help me trust God that you still know what you're doing. Tough stuff, isn't it? God, help me to trust you today with my life, even though up to this point, my life hasn't really been about you. It's been about these other things, these other idols. So I want to encourage you to sing and praise Him because there is another in the fire. But I also want to encourage you to take a few minutes and examine our hearts before the Lord as we do sing this. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website 
edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.